0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. It seems that nothing much can be done to stop the steamroller that is consolidation in the wealth and financial advice markets. Pandemics, rising interest rates, inflation seem to have done little to stop asset managers, wealth managers, financial advisors from buying each other up in a bid for more scale. But is this likely to continue? And what will the wealth market look like in five years' time or so? I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of FT Advisor. And with me to discuss this are Alberta Charles, UK Asset and Wealth Management Leader at PwC, and Louise Jeffries, Managing Director of Go and Co. Hello both.
1: Morning. Hi, morning. Good
0: morning. So, as I mentioned in, in my intro, we're now well into a world of um, higher rates and inflation. Uh, Alberta, how has this affected m um, activity, if at all?
2: Well, um, interestingly, so if you look at what's happening in the broader asset management sector, uh, as well as wealth management I think there are a number of fundamental factors that, are, that have been disrupting those sectors. And, and it's really making the, the, the need to scale up via m an imperative for those businesses. So you've had factors like you know, higher cost pressures from regulatory um, burdens getting higher, um, rapid digital transformation. And, 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 for, and for the world sector in particular, really accelerating a shift in in, in what customers need, yeah? yeah? And so a number of players are now also seeing fee pressures coming through the wealth management sector in a way that it hadn't, you know, so the fees have sort of held up much better than what we've seen in asset management. But the increase in demand for passive investing and index-linked investing is bringing that fee pressure into the wealth management sector as well. So you've got fee pressure coming through, you've got pressure on costs. And so there's really starting to be a squeeze on margins that's driving the need to scale up by buying smaller players to deliver synergies and uh, cost savings.
0: And how does that um, reflect what you're, I suppose, seeing on the ground in terms of um, M&A activity and the deals that you're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with Alberta. We're definitely seeing that, um, you know, the, the players in the market, particularly in the wealth management market, which is where we specialise, they can see that there is a big opportunity as they go through vertical integration, as they look at the value chain of a the client, they can see that through um, consolidating and buying up these smaller owner operator businesses, not only will it then future-proof their businesses from um, the pressures, the regulatory pressures, as as Alberta mentioned, but also give them the opportunity to uh, maximise those returns through looking at the value chain, looking at the other elements of the service cycle that they can offer that smaller players can't. Uh, yeah,
2: and I think linked to that is one of the reasons why it's such an attractive segment right for private equity so you know talking about the wealth management sector in particular Louise talked about the opportunities to create value from vertical integration but it's also a sector that offers predictable recurring revenues and it's still highly fragmented as well right so I I believe probably the top 30 wealth managers cover about 50 percent of the advisors in the market and you've got a really long tail of about another 5,000 or so subscale and, and often advice only players, which as Louise mentioned, can then be rolled up through consolidation. So, so it's a really attractive business model from a private equity perspective. And, uh, and there are a number of private equity players that are backing consolidators. And so I think, the deal activity is going to continue for, for some
1: time.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, just, sorry, go. Just,
1: sorry, just to add to that, because I was thinking about this actually this morning, Alberta, because I, I can, you know, we obviously have a lot of private equity sort of knocking on our door saying, you know, can can we get a platform business from which to um to roll up to grow? And if you think about it like a subscription business and you look at the boom of subscription businesses, particularly on the consumer side now, and you look at something like Harry's Razors or All of these subscription models, and then you play and you think about who is investing in these companies, and then you play that out from a financial planning and wealth management uh, profession. As Roberta said, the money is stable. The amount of opportunity for consolidation is there. The profitability in these businesses is huge. The cost per acquisition of new clients in the in the generally in the owner managed sector, especially, is very low. So when you're an investor and you're looking at You know, where am I going to go into um, in terms of grossing return? It's a fantastic opportunity. Mm
0: -hmm. I just want to pick up on um, this issue of private equity that you've both raised. There have been there have been a lot of private equity players move into this space. Um, That seems to, at least from my anecdotal um, experience, slowed down a little bit in the last um, year and a bit year or so. Maybe is that just because there's already a lot of active private equity players in this market or has maybe the the, in the interest rate environment made um, it a little bit less attractive? Yeah. Is that, or maybe I'm wrong, maybe my anecdotal experience is, is a bit, bit wrong.
1: I mean, my feeling is definitely that the competitiveness now in the sector Um, is leading smaller, particularly small-cap private equity that want to come in and start a consolidation journey. I think that, and certainly conversations that I've had with some of these companies, is that they're a bit too late. And I definitely think, you know, we're talking now almost four years ago where I would say we started the realm of startup consolidators, private equity-backed startup consolidators that came in with nothing, with purely a, a, a strategic plan of growth through acquisition. And they're extre- it's a very competitive market for those companies. They're competing with one another with quite similar value propositions for the business sellers. And so at least from a similarly anecdotal experience, I think that they're, they're, they're just a bit too late now and that's why they're not coming in.
2: Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. But also
1: because you've had this wave of consolidation
2: and you have now built I suppose a number of businesses take the vertically integrated consolidators uh, the question is how much of the value creation opportunities within that have they really realized and there's almost a question as to whether you should start to see some consolidation at that level and i think A number of private equity investors who have gone into the sector are probably at that stage where they're reflecting on the next stage of value creation, which is potentially starting to create consolidation at the top end with the vertically integrated consolidators.
1: I'm 100% expecting to see that in the next two years, particularly with the new consolidators that came in 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 the last four years. You know, they will all have had significant targets. And... As we as we sit and and in our world, so bringing buyers and sellers together, we're bringing very similar buyers to you know the same seller, and they're competing against each other. So they're they're finding it very difficult to reach those targets.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, and. You've both mentioned vertical integration um, a couple of times. To what extent is, is m and activity still being driven by a desire to achieve that? To achieve that? You know, I'm, a, I'm an asset manager. I want to own a platform. I want to own an advice business rather than I'm a wealth manager. I just want more wealth managers so that I can get more and more scale.
2: I think we, we I mean, we're certainly still working with players, both financial and strategic, uh, who are doing both. So um, so if you look at the lower end of the market, um, probably with assets around a billion, I think in that market, it's very difficult for players looking to scale up because if you've got a a fully integrated, vertically integrated player, they've got efficiencies synergies that, that they can bring into play and share with the seller. And so I think they're always going to be at the front of the queue and there is still some value to be had as i said from that long tail so i think mass consolidation of the advice only play i think there's still some way to run with that and and i i also think that in terms of the broader value creation opportunities beyond sort of vertical integration it's a it's companies are also looking at opportunities to broaden the product and service capabilities that they have because one of the things that customers are saying is we want much broader more personalized service to us and a lot of the players that we are looking at at the moment sometimes tend to be quite narrow in what we're getting so so i think there is still a lot of m a that is focusing much more narrow on buying capability broadening product ranges so 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 i think the reason and for consolidation and scaling up it's not just about costs and, and and savings it's 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 about talent i think the bigger you are the more attractive you are um to retain and attract talent it's about product it's about entering new markets so there's still i think some way to go mm-hmm.
0: louis what do you think
1: yeah i think um i think what we see is on the buy side there is a very it's very common for there to be um at least a couple of revenue um, revenue opportunities or, or value opportunities from on the buy side from multiple uh, value chain elements. So whether it's having integrated investment management (DFM) permissions, those sorts of things. Although I do think conversely, we see a lot of sellers who typically, if you're talking again those subscale owner-managed businesses, who do not have those capabilities in the house and, and are often quite wary of selling into the bigger the, the bigger players and in fact often you know that that sort of um culture crisis of trying to sell something really quite small into something really quite big where the business seller has probably a bit more power because they're actually the one making a decision in a very competitive environment so where normally you would say okay well you know the big guy's got all of the decision-making power, all of the sort of negotiation power, but actually if they want to have this mass roll up, this mass consolidation, and they're working with very idiosyncratic owner managers, we see that actually some of those more sophisticated businesses that on paper look like they're much more better run, talented people, they can be quite intimidating for on the south side. And so we see that smaller, pure play, financial planning, regional businesses can actually win out in the in the in those competitive environments.
0: I suppose we've 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 touched on on, on this a little bit up till now. But um, I was wondering if I could just ask you both to sort of sketch out a little bit. What do you think is, is the profile of company that's most likely to be most acquisitive over the next few years? And, and what's the, the profile of the company is that's most likely to be acquired? Who, who, who's most likely to be predator and, and prey, I suppose? Alberta, what do you think?
2: I think that who is likely to be predator, I think, is closely linked with who is well positioned to succeed in the longer term. And, and I think there are a number of um, attributes around that. So I think it's those those players who have a really clear uh, USB. So being very clear on whether you're a technology player, advice-only player, or you're a fully integrated, vertically integrated um, consolidator. And really doing that at scale, because of the margin pressures, I think scale is really critical and with the right tech and the right talent. And so I think that doesn't always mean, you know, building your own tech. It's 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 the players that recognise that you know you have a USB, and you can borrow, enter into alliances, partnerships, to to power you in the areas where you haven't got a particular uh, strength or core capability. And we're seeing a number of players are doing that. So using, we've got fully vertically integrated players, but they're actually using, you know, often white, um, white labeled platforms that their brand is their own. So I think that's really critical. Um, the other aspect I think would be really important in terms of who's going to be coming out on top is, is customer profiling. So I think players that are really embracing technology, including AI, to really enhance their customer profiling, I think would 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 be critical for 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 the future because one of the studies we did showed that 66 percent of high net worth investors are dissatisfied with the level of personalized service they're getting from their advisors 46 percent said that they were either going to make a change or already made a change in their advisor relationships uh, in the next 12 to 24 months and so really focusing on using technology ai to really enhance customer profiling making sure you have um, multi-channel engagement um, particularly as the sector prepares for the unprecedented wealth transfer we're seeing i think 68 trillion dollars being transferred from baby boomers to um, millennials and so millennials as you know much more purpose-driven much more focused around climate ESG, and therefore having um, sort of virtual and, and they are very tech first, right, in terms of very comfortable with engaging digitally. So so enhanced customer profiling with sort of multiple channel engagement, um, personalized customer experiences, virtual collaboration tools, I think that's quite important part of a successful player going
0: forward. Luis, what do you think?
1: I think I completely agree with Alberta I think the one thing that you said that really stuck out for me was that point around unique selling proposition or USP because as I said from my experience when I sit in on you know many many meetings of buyer meet seller you know dating first dates and we're seeing that Mr. Buyer is saying the same thing as every other Mr. Buyer and I think that then from a selling perspective and putting yourself in the seller's mindset, it's very difficult to differentiate and really make a good decision on what's the next best home for your clients and your team and your staff. So I think those areas where you start to see the larger players have significant differentiation and and specific differentiation will help them to stand out. I do think the thing that perhaps we mustn't forget as well, though, is that and i used the term in my last um comment but the sellers in these subscale and i'm talking sort of half a billion under management and below these subscale businesses they are very idiosyncratic and so when we're in this first date environment there is quite a big element of how much do i actually like the person on the other side of the table and how mm-hmm. much can i build trust and and as Alberta said, you know, all of those elements of having a successful future-proofed business are 100% necessary, but they're not necessarily going to be all the things I think that will win them the deals in the MA market. And I think one of the things, as I mentioned before, is, is the balance between um, the level of change any clients and team members will see through that transition period and through that acquisition journey because Mr. Seller is sitting there hoping that nothing will change, and of course the buy side want to bring those clients into a new realm of financial planning. And I think it's getting that balance right. And it's a much longer term journey than just the the process of selling the business or the transition process.
0: And on that topic, briefly, we've seen valuations go up and up. Do you think? Uh, there's, do you have any reason to think that's uh, likely to to change, Louise?
1: So we, um, so we analysed the first six months of the offers that we've seen across businesses in um, in the wealth management sector and financial planning specific sector. And we have seen that on the recurring income side, which is very typically used for really subscale businesses, we're talking sort of sub 100 million under management, typically single advisor firms, retiree profile firms, we're seeing pressure now for the first time on those valuations. So we quoted that four year last year, we were at an average of four times recurring income and looking at the first six months of this year at three and a half times. And anecdotally, we're very much hearing on the buy side that there's less interest in these smaller firms. We're very much hearing that these buyers, and and as I mentioned, there's a significant amount of competition amongst these buyers, and so they're looking for acquisitions which are going to move the dial. They're looking for bigger acquisitions. And so, you know, conversely on that same theme, when we look at and analysed um, deals based on adjusted profit, which is much more likely to be a multi-advisor firm, you know buying a full business we have seen growth we've seen that grow from eight times to 8.3 times and I think the competitiveness in that sector in that in that segment will continue to drive that but I do think that there's pressure some of it certainly coming from debt costs interest rate rises but there's there is pressure in the smaller smaller advice firm sales. Mm.
0: Abatha do you have any um, thoughts on that?
2: So I'd say that the
1: um, I suppose the other end of the, the, the deal spectrum,
2: where we tend to do a lot more of our, our deal support, we're still seeing pricing holding up. And uh, so, for so for businesses that, as I said, offer you know a, a real opportunity to enhance the value creation of those consolidators. Um, so whether it be a fully vertically integrated consolidator that wants to get this advice only business that they can then roll up onto their platforms and to their products for the for the, for the, for the good businesses and probably the more sizable ones uh, we're still seeing that pricing uh, hasn't really softened
0: a lot looking forward um 5 years or so what do you think the, the, the wealth market will look like in terms of in terms of the, uh, the companies that operate in it um Alberta?
2: I mean, we've just done a recent uh, survey of the asset wealth management uh, sector where we talked to 250 um, managers and 250 investors. And we expect to see, based on the disruption that's going on in the market, um, the drive for consolidation and for scaling up, we expect to see a significant level of, of, of shakeout. In the market um, at higher rates than what we've seen historically. So, our analysis suggests that we will see one in six um, Aston Wealth managers um, globally potentially taken over um, in one shape or another. Um, we expect to see sort of the top players take a significantly higher share of, of AUM. Um, so, currently, if you look at the global market, Top ten largest asset managers are, have just about forty two point five percent in twenty twenty, uh, and our analysis suggests by twenty twenty seven, uh, they will increase their share to just under half. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so we saw um, concentration uh, around the big ten, and the other key elements is around uh, AI and and disruptive tech. Um, so currently uh, a significant proportion of asset managers are embracing AI and in wealth management space, I think there are significant opportunities uh, for that to really transform a number of aspects of the, of the value chain. So if you look at client onboarding, for example, I think you can have uh, really effective like AI chatbots Uh, AI-based solutions that really are much better at risk assessment and client profiling. And so you can get a really better understanding of dimensions around risk, return, liquidity, time horizon, portfolio fit, ESG, all of the stuff that's really important uh, for millennials. And so I think we'll see AI and disruptive tech really transforming um, the operations, for businesses but really for wealth management I think what it will do is free up advisor capacity away from all the admin and um, really free up the time to spend with customers who are saying they want more customized experience so freeing up time from admin to spend much more on building customer relationships and growing I suppose your your customer base
0: Mm -hmm. And do you see the think that there's anything that could derail that? If, if anything is likely to derail that, what might it be, I suppose?
2: I think, as um, Louise mentioned, it's it's whatever changes you're trying to make in the wealth management sector, it's how do you get your advisors on board? Mm-hmm. And, and and if you think about, Louise, you, I think you describe them as, you know, the, the advisor owner businesses. Culturally, are they ready to make the transition at the pace and scale? that the larger consolidators are looking and need to drive to retain the margins and drive, you know, the value they want to achieve from their their M&A strategy. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a question around the culture and how much time and effort you put into making sure that you get your advisors on board with any changes you want to
0: make. Louise, what do you think the the market will look like in about five years or so in terms of the the companies that will be still still around
1: yeah I mean maybe just starting with a bit of run-on from where Alberta was because one of the things I I do wonder in the larger consolidators and I um, so in terms of how well I know those companies I know those companies from the perspective perspective of watching them pitch to business owners that they're hoping obviously to buy their businesses And I don't hear a lot of talk about their technology plans and their embracing of AI. And to Alberta's point, and I've wondered this for a while, when you look at these millennials coming in with very different needs from the current baby boomer client base, but then you look at these private equity-backed companies that are on quite short-term investment time horizons, and you've got investors who are, I would say, possibly looking at a market where there's a huge amount of quick opportunity to grow through acquisition and to spend money there versus spending the money on all of that, all of those tech play, tech first, thinking about what the millennials want. And I don't know, I actually wonder if I can just push the question over, or not push the question, but to pose a question to Alberta, who's working closer with some of those big players to say, are they actually embracing of this technology now because i don't see them presenting it if i'm honest hopefully they are my clients but i don't see that coming across in the presentations that i'm seeing i
2: think that's quite interesting isn't it in terms of them not selling it from what we see with the clients we're working on that the tech ai big data that's a really big focus in terms of value creation the whole value creation thesis for the next phase of i think Perhaps the first phase was all about building the scale. And, yeah. and therefore I can understand why in the conversations that you sat in, why that wasn't the top priority in those pitches. But given where the market has come and the level of consolid- consolidation that has happened, I think the next stage is very much around how you deliver on the, the cost synergies and and, and, and technology is certainly very central to that from what we can see.
1: I'm very glad to hear it. But having said
2: that, I'm I'm not sure that I would say that the wealth management sector Mm. is as advanced as what we see in the broader asset management sector. Mm. Um, And so our research showed that 90% of asset managers um, globally already using disruptive technology tools like big data, like AI, like blockchain, To enhance the investment performance. I am not sure that the wealth management sector is as advanced um, Mm -hmm. as as the broader asset management sectors in that regard.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean I wonder in terms of talking about um, if we think about consolidation of firms and if we think about the volumes of directly authorised firms that are in the market today, our analysis suggests that that has broadly stayed constant so whilst we see businesses being consolidated we also then see startups and and new directly authorized businesses businesses that might have been appointed representatives becoming um, directly authorized businesses and so whilst I completely agree with Alberta that I think that the consolidators will naturally get bigger I think that there remains the opportunity and and there remains the um, momentum of new directly authorised businesses coming in. And I I wonder if we will see new, younger owner managers coming in with a much better understanding of the millennial clients replacing some of those consolidated retiree businesses. And then the question comes in of where does the client fit? Because the consolidated, the, the retired businesses are selling their businesses into the large consolidator. The younger new startups are coming in with no clients, but there is the value, the, the, the passing on of the, the wealth. And so whether then I think that the large businesses will start to lose clients, if they aren't as quick as like you're saying, Alberta, in the wealth management sector, if they aren't as quick to embrace direct consumer trends of technology and, and things like that. And I think that then the competition for the client outside of the competition for the M&A side will probably heat up.
0: Okay. Well, um, thanks very much to both of you for uh, taking part and for your insight. That was really interesting. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, this was the last uh, edition of the FT Advisor podcast for the summer. We'll be back uh, in September, in early September. So have a good summer. And thank you very much for tuning in. And tune into the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you.